Are you feeling paralyzed by your limitations? Is what you can't do getting in the way of what you can do? God made you the way that you are, and he doesn't make mistakes. Today we're continuing our series as we have been uh, going through the book of Exodus, how God shapes a person for impact. And as we've gone through this series, we've been looking at Moses's life before all of the dramatic uh, signs and wonders, the, the encounters that he's come to be known for. And we're seeing the experiences and the events that shaped his life uh, in those quiet moments before uh, any of that showdown with uh, Pharaoh actually occurred. And we've been doing that because we, we want to try to understand what God might be doing in our own lives, how he might be preparing us and working in quietness and uh, some of those more mundane aspects of life to, uh, to prepare us for uh, the next chapter, whatever that might be. And now today we're looking at Moses' call and how God's reassurance can overcome our reluctance. And I'm going to assume that uh, most of us uh, deal with a measure of reluctance in our lives uh, at, at some point and in some uh, various ways. I, for Ivan Sagadin, his, uh, his reluctance was expressed in uh, his attitude towards seatbelts. Not many people like being told what to do. He didn't like being told that he had to wear a seatbelt. And so he just didn't. Uh, didn't, didn't care to wear a seatbelt, uh, but he still loved to drive. And as you can imagine, that resulted in um, you're going to get some fines. People are going to, the police are going to uh, take notice of that. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, in five years, he managed to get 32 fines for not wearing a seatbelt. And, you know, that's going to stress anybody out. Nobody likes to get that many fines. Uh, if it were you, hey, you get 32 fines, what are you going to do? You put on a seatbelt, right? Well, he had a different idea. Uh, he, what he did was... Uh, the, the, the seat belt was off to his left-hand side. He, he got an, an extra long belt that he attached to that seat belt, and he could just hang it over his shoulder as he was driving. It looked like he was wearing a seat belt, but police officers, as they would see him go driving by, they said, well, nothing wrong there. He seems to be wearing a seat belt. Uh, um, no issue. And it worked brilliantly. He didn't get any more speeding tickets. Unfortunately, it wasn't very effective in protecting him in the crash that he eventually had. Driving along a highway, uh, managed to cross over into oncoming traffic. It was a low-impact crash, but he went hurtling into the steering wheel, multiple injuries, and... Ivan Sagadin uh, died in that impact. 39 years old, the coroner said, if he'd only been wearing a seatbelt, it all could have been avoided. Now, we have a little bit of Ivan Sagadin in all of us. There is that sense of reluctance and resistance, a sense of not, being, not liking being told what to do, 
and uh, trying to resist when we find people or even God pushing us in areas where we don't want to go. What do you do with that? If we have a little bit of that in our lives and we recognize that can be dangerous, that can be unhealthy, that can do things uh, not only physically, but it can do things in our relationship with God that uh, are just things that we would want to avoid. How do you overcome that? And so I, I want you to be thinking of that question. I want you to be thinking of what are some of the areas where you are reluctant or resistant uh, in your relationship with God, things that he, um, from time to time, or maybe even this morning, is, has put his uh, finger on in your life, and you recognize, yeah, that's something that I just have not been uh, open to God uh, directing me in that area of my life. I want you to be thinking of that as we look at Moses. And here is this giant of the faith. And he had to deal with those very same Ivan Sagadin tendencies in his own life. And we want to see how God dealt with them. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 to 17. Uh, there's a black church Bible uh, in, the seat, in, the, in the rack under the seat in front of you. It's on page 44. Uh, and I'm going to read, uh, starting in chapter 4, verses 1 to 17. Exodus 4, starting at verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak to you for the he shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. This is the word of God. 
Now, the passage gives us three, three ways that God's reassurance overcomes our reluctance. And the first starts with just how God counters our doubts with his signs. God recognizes the challenges that we have, the struggles that we have to believe, and he is very gracious in dealing with them. And he provides confirmation. He gives us evidence. He gives us uh, ways that we can learn about who he is and what he has done that will give us confidence to do things that we would otherwise uh, feel a, a sense of fear and insecurity. So he counters our doubts with his signs. Now, Moses has just been told what God uh, wants him to do, that he is to go to Pharaoh. He is going to be uh, God's instrument to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. But he can't stop thinking about his earlier failures, and it just, it just doesn't feel like this is going to go well for him. He, he fears that it's going to, to end as badly as it did the first time. Not only will Pharaoh not believe him, he's worried the Israelites won't believe him, believe him either. And so in verse 1, he says, They will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Last time, if you were with us, you remember it was, he was trying to figure out, okay, what, what's the name of God? They might ask me that. I should probably know. And he's, now he's, you know, it's good to be clear on what your name is, but I still don't think that they're going to believe that, you know, I don't think that's enough for them to be convinced that uh, you actually had this conversation with me. So he wants some, some more confirmation. And it seems like a very reasonable request. It would be reasonable, except God has just told Moses in chapter 3, verse 18, they will listen to your voice. So now for Moses to say, they will not listen to my voice, he is directly arguing with God. God tells him one thing. He says, no, 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 God, I think you're wrong. It's going to go the opposite way. So he's arguing with God, but again, we're seeing the patience of God. He is gracious and and compassionate towards Moses, and he responds to his fears. God takes, has him take his staff, throw it on the, throws it on the ground, and it famously turns into a snake. When he grabs the snake's tail, it becomes a staff again. It's an incredible uh, miracle, and presumably he could do this at will uh, as necessary in order to prov provide evidence to people. He did this before Pharaoh, and he will do it before uh, the Israelites, who he believes will also need convincing. Now, you'd be shocked if you saw something like this. I don't know how you are with snakes, but a snake uh, is uh, thrown at your feet, and people typically jump. They are surprised, and it catches people's attention. But as it turns back into a staff again, as he grabs it by the tail, and it's now a staff, now you'd start to be thinking what this might have meant. Well, that was, that was amazing, but what is this sign actually pointing to? And if you were an Egyptian or if you were living in Egypt, it would be very clear what that sign was pointing to because the snake was Pharaoh's sign. Most of you have probably seen a, uh, a picture of King Tut's uh, the, the headdress that he wore, and you saw that there's a, a cobra right in the, in the center of that. And that was because pharaohs in Egypt uh, were regularly dressed like that. They, they would 
they would have uh, a cobra that was a part of their headdress. They would also carry a scepter that was uh, shaped, uh, the, the head of it was shaped like a snake. And now Moses is taking his staff and it becomes a live snake. And so it looks like what Pharaoh has is kind of like a Fisher-Price toy, and Moses has got the real thing. It's showing his authority uh, over and above Pharaoh. It's showing he has power. His God has power uh, over all, you know, this is, this is the most powerful uh, person in, uh, in, in that part of the world, and God is saying, I'm more powerful than that. I have uh, uh, power over those things. Then in verse 6, God has Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he pulls it out, it's completely covered in uh, a leprous skin disease. In Egypt, again, leprosy was, uh, it was known and it was greatly feared. Highly contagious and completely incurable. And, uh, and so... For this is almost scarier than the snake. You know, uh, seeing a snake is unsettling. Getting leprosy is, uh, it's a life sentence. And so people would have felt the fear of that. But then for him to put it back into his cloak and immediately um, be, for the leprosy to disappear, it would be this incredible statement that God has power over sickness. He has power over, uh, over health and, and, and recovery. Healing is in his hands. Uh, finally, in verse 9, he's able to take some water from the Nile. And as he pours that water out, it turns to blood. And uh, here you have this picture of just how... Uh, uh, God uh, possesses uh, power above and beyond what uh, people would normally consider. In Egypt, they uh, celebrated the Nile because it was literally the, the, the thing that made a desert into an oasis for them. It became this lush, uh, very uh, agriculturally rich place uh, because of uh, the water that the, that the Nile provided, and, uh, and people celebrated that. They knew that their life depended on the water from the Nile, and uh, it was something that they, they prided themselves in. Now for Moses to take this sign or source of life and turn it into a sign of death shows that Moses' God has power over life. He has power over death. Uh, he is uh, one to, who has all things uh, under his control. And, and so these, these signs are, are, are intended to, to convince Moses, to, to give him confidence and to uh, enable him to be able to persuade others and to, uh, to, to show just how great uh, his God truly is. The thing is, though, that they're not just given, obviously, to Moses. This is recorded in Scripture that you and I might also be persuaded, that we would learn some things about uh, God, his character, and, and, and he wants us to remember these signs when we are in those situations, when we are feeling reluctant, when we are feeling resistant, when we're 
tempted to put on our fake seatbelts and go the other way, and, and God is trying to get our attention. So where do you need to let those signs sink in in your life right now? Have you been finding reasons why you need, uh, why you need just more evidence or more convincing or more reasons why you should follow God in the way that he would lead you? Do you find yourself uh, reluctant in responding in, uh, to opportunities to serve and to give your life in, uh, in, in, and give uh, of service to others? Have you been ignoring his promptings to give? Or maybe for you, it, it's more of a sense of, uh, of ignoring some area of hidden sin in your life where uh, it is uh, covering it with a, uh, a fake seatbelt and trying to make things look good on the outside where in reality there are hidden uh, areas that really need to be brought out into the open, need to be dealt with. The message of these signs is there is a God who is over all that calls us and invites us to respond to him, to recognize his power and to recognize that he is the one who is, uh, who is worthy of our loyalty and our allegiance. So we start, start God counters our doubts with his signs. Then he counters our weaknesses with his strength. I don't know anyone, uh, some people at, at first appear not to have these uh, insecurities. You get to know people well enough and just about everyone has insecurities about some areas in their life. And those feelings of inadequacy can get in the way of our relationship with God and what he calls us to do, uh, what he is seeking to do in our lives. Here he shows us that God counters our weakness with his strength. He puts his foot on the scale where we feel we don't measure up. Now, Moses hasn't been given a small task. He realizes this is a life assignment. This is a big uh, challenge that will occupy the rest of his life. And he knows that things could go very badly. He knows that the stakes are high. And so he's beginning to think of all of the different ways that it could go poorly and all of the different ways where that he thinks, God, this just seems like a bad idea. So in verse 10, he says, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Now, this is a little unusual because in Acts 7.22, Stephen says that Moses was mighty in his words. And so scholars are, are a little bit confused as to exactly what it is that, that could be going on here. Uh, some, some think that uh, Moses may have had a stutter, that uh, he, 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 he struggled uh, with his speech in a, in a physical uh, way like that. Others, may th others, others think that maybe growing up in the palace, he just recognized, you know, uh, he was one of many who were being trained for leadership positions because of uh, him being adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh. Uh, and, and he just recognized speaking isn't, you know, that was never one of the classes that I excelled in. Public speaking was, uh, that just doesn't, doesn't seem to be one of my strengths. There also is the fact that he has been living in Midian for 40 years now. So 
his Egyptian is a little rusty. Some of you have experienced this. Uh, you you moved to Canada. You've been here for a very long time. And so so long that when you actually go back and visit your uh, your home country, the words don't come out as, uh, as easily as they otherwise would have. And so maybe what, what is happening here is Moses is thinking of going, if, if I'm going to head back to, back to Egypt, that's going to involve, you know, making speeches and some intense negotiations. And my, my Egyptian just isn't up for it ever anymore. I don't, I don't know if I can pull this off. And so it could be any one or a combination of those things going through Moses' mind at this point. And either, either way, his focus is in the wrong place. His focus on his own inadequacies. His, he sees this as what I've got is going to accomplish this great task. And he doesn't have his focus on the Lord. The God who turns walking sticks into reptiles isn't really dependent on our abilities, our rhetorical skills to win the day. In verse 11, God says, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? I wonder if you've ever ever really considered what that verse is saying. Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? The implied answer is, well, of course, that's the Lord. Well, that's not exactly how our world uh, sees things. And in fact, uh, evolution teaches the opposite of that. Uh, evolution would have us see that limitation is liability. The strong conquer the weak. And, and there, is, there is a standard which we are all to be evaluated by. And if there's things that deviate from that standard, we feel uh, a sense of inadequacy and shame. And we just, we don't measure up. I, I experienced this when I uh, first moved to Japan. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out the language, and uh, I'd kind of mastered some some basic, you know, introductions. And I'm waiting for someone to say, um, "Hello, how are you? What's your name?" Because I'd practiced, you know, how I could respond to that. And instead, what I often heard was, "Hanagatakai desu ne," and I was like. That must be some other version of nice to meet you. Um, I'd, I'd love to invite you for coffee. But I, I, I took that, that phrase, went, went home, looked it up, and I discovered that it means you have a really big nose. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not sure what the response to that is, even if I did know the Japanese. Like, like, yes, thank you very much. It helps me to spell. I, like, how do you come back to that, that, uh, that statement? But... You know, that's, that, that's, what I, that's what I experienced. And my point is, we live in a world that values certain ideals, has, has this standard of kind of how it's supposed to be. And if you don't meet that ideal, then you seem to be defective in some way. And that's, that's completely at, at odds with how the scriptures uh, present things. We were not designed like that. There is no perfect form that we were all supposed to have fit into, and we somehow don't measure up to it. The message of the scriptures is that God has purposely and deliberately created and designed us, and he's done so with a purpose. 
He's given us strengths. And often those strengths just naturally point us towards the roles that God has created us to fulfill. But he has also deliberately and purposely given us weaknesses. And those weaknesses are given to us by God often to refine our character, to develop humility in us, and create a dependence upon God so that we can operate in the area of our strengths, but to do so with a, a greater recognition of our need of God and recognition that the glory belongs to him. Now, we all have different limitations. Maybe your limitation isn't that you have a really big nose. Um, we've got different things. There, there are different things that each of us uh, struggle with us, struggle with. And uh, there, you know, there, there are things that, that those uniquenesses are, uh, the weaknesses are unique to each of us. Uh, for some people, maybe you're, maybe in addition to other weaknesses, your, your weakness is time. You just have a job that is incredibly demanding that creates, uh, you know, challenges to the rest of uh, your, your life and your pace and your rhythm and your balance. And, and that's a, uh, a limitation that God has placed upon your life at this point. Uh, maybe for other people, your limitation is a trial you're going through. There, there's something in your life that just feels all-consuming, and that trial seems to cloud out everything else that's going on. It's, but and it's really a, a limitation that is uh, a part of your reality right now. Uh, maybe for other people, uh, your limitation is the insecurities you have about people. Many people feel that that, uh, that that just limitation of feeling like the the way that people perceive, perceive you uh, gets in the way of you doing what you feel God wants you to do, and there there can be just all kinds of limitations, weaknesses that we feel as a part of everyday life, and yet when we look at verse eleven, we recognize. Those weaknesses that we feel in our lives are, are actually part of God's design for us. They're actually good for us. And they actually steer us in ways that are uh, they're helpful. They, they refine our character and they create a sense of dependence on God. Listen to what God tells Moses in verse 12. Go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Some of the most God-glorifying ministry that takes place in this church is, is carried out by people that you would think, I don't know how they do that. And people that, that you would think, I never would have guessed that they would have stepped into that ministry. I, I, I don't know how that happens. And as they carry out that ministry in the, in the, midst, of, in, in the midst of all that is going on in their life, we, you recognize now, what they have done is they have taken their weaknesses and their limitations and they have turned them over to God and they have cast themselves on his strength and looked to him for uh, the help that only he can give. And so then when they carry out that ministry, it is not them that is getting the glory. You can't help but think only God could have done that. What an incredible God that he is able to work through our weaknesses, that he is able to do great things with otherwise uh, limited, uh, weak people. 
And, and really that is uh, the testimony of, uh, uh, of us as a congregation. And so what is that weakness or limitation that you would put into God's hands? That you would thank him for, to recognize that he would do uh, things in your life through that weakness that you would otherwise uh, not be able to do. And what is that thing that God is calling you to do? What, what's your part in his kingdom? What's your part in what God is doing here in our midst and here in our world? So, so far we've said God counters our doubts uh, with his signs. He counters our weaknesses with his strength. And finally, God counters our resistance with his persistence. God doesn't just abandon his plans because we said, I don't feel like doing that, or I'm not really interested. God doesn't say, okay, well, I guess I won't save the world then. I, I won't deliver the Israelites after all. No, God is still going to carry out his plan, and he will do, do so one way or another. So uh, God counters our resistance with his persistence. Now Moses has given God his fears, and he's pleaded his limitations. And God has given him the benefit of the doubt with regard to his motivation. But what eventually becomes clear is what we were starting to suspect from the beginning. I think these things that Moses keeps bringing up are not actual reasons. I think they might be excuses. I think he just doesn't want to do it. Once you get to verse 13, we see the reluctant heart bare and exposed. Moses just says, oh my Lord, please send someone else. And like, this is a bold thing to say to God. Remember, he is speaking to an angelic being that is, that is audibly speaking to him out of fire. And the message is, God, this sounds like a great idea. In fact, I've long thought Delivering the Israelites from their bondage in slavery would be wonderful, but please don't involve me in it. That's, that's bold to say that to God, right? Well, verse 14 gives a response. It just says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. This is actually the first time in all of scripture that it describes God as getting mad at someone, getting angry with someone. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't, there's no indication that God got angry with Adam. No indication that God got angry with Abraham. Abraham had his faults. There's, there's no indication that he got angry with Jacob. You know, there was some wrestling that took place. Uh, there certainly was some, some lies and cheating, but there wasn't this, this description of the anger of the Lord being ignited. Even in the days of, of Noah, when it it says the, the, uh, uh, there was sin in their heart continually. Even at that point, it says that God's heart was grieved, not angered. Here, he has ignited the anger of the Lord. And, and it, it, it's a message that having rejected God's plan altogether, that, that it brings things to a different level. The, the resistance has become rebellion, and God is confronting it directly. 
Now, that's a problem because I think that we do this send someone else, Lord, fairly casually in our lives, right? Like, like we do. We, we, we see that there are ministry needs and opportunities. There are, there are holes to fill. There are things that need to be done. And we know that we could do them, but we kind of say, send someone else, Lord. Or we, we recognize maybe there's someone that you're praying for. Oh, I'd just love for them to come to know Jesus. I, I, I know that their life, life would be so different if they had the hope that we enjoy. But when it comes to actually speaking to them, Send someone else, Lord. Oh, we, we see that there are financial needs. We understand that there are financial uh, commitments and obligations. And yet we are happy to pray a silent, send someone else, Lord, and hope that somebody else meets that need so that we don't have to. I think we pray that prayer a lot. And, and when, we are do, when we do, we are saying to God, I think that it's a good idea. I just don't want to be involved. And that kind of resistance and saying this to God or this to God is in, in, in this passage describes him, it's igniting his anger. It is, it is escalating what started off with doubts and insecurities and fears, and it has now turned it into something else. And, and so uh, we're, we're, we're reminded to just think clearly about those opportunities that God puts his finger on in our lives. He, he is not impressed when we are, our, our tendency is to try and delegate. Now, God in his grace does send Moses someone else. Uh, he responds to his request. He sends his brother Aaron. Notice in verse 14, it says, I know that he can speak well. I think the implication is Aaron is actually a better speaker than Moses. Moses says, I'm not a great speaker. This is not really the job for me. And yet God, it, it wasn't like Moses, uh, Moses was giving God some new information. He was very clear on which of the two brothers was actually a more capable orator. And he chose Moses anyway. And it's a reminder that God often doesn't choose uh, the, the most talented person, that uh, God's uh, choice and his, his, his reasons are of his own. Often it is the heart that is more important than uh, the outward capability. Moses, uh, God knew what he was doing. He chose Moses, but God graciously provides Aaron. Now, Aaron is going to provide some moral support. Nice to have your brother along when you're sticking your neck out in difficult and dangerous places. Aaron will also speak for Moses on a few occasions. It's actually surprisingly little as you read on for the rest of, uh, of uh, Exodus through De Deuteronomy. Very few times, actually, that Aaron actually uh, stands and speaks for Moses, but he does. But... What you learn here with Aaron is God provides him. God graciously responds to Moses' request. He, he's persistent. He's not going to give up. He's not going to uh, abandon his plan to deliver the Israelites. But the warning for me and maybe for you is that when 
God, uh, when, when you're in that position where you are resisting God and rebelling against him, be careful what you ask for. Because sometimes God will give you what you asked for. He'll give you what you want, not necessarily what you need. He'll give you what, you what you want in those times where you're resisting. He may not give you what is best for you. And this request, we know that the request angered the Lord. It wasn't uh, God's, uh, uh, God's best for Moses. He graciously responds to it, but there are problems that come out uh, as a result of it. In, in elevating the status of this older, more eloquent uh, brother, he actually, uh, at, at a certain point, by the time you get to Exodus chapter 32, this older, more eloquent brother becomes a rival, a, a rival leader, and around that rival leader, those factions within Israel who are kind of into idolatry and are resistant to God, they gather around Aaron and bring about the famous rebellion, the golden calf incident. And you see what takes place there and you think, Moses, maybe if you hadn't have asked for God to send somebody else, maybe if you hadn't have raised the, the stature of Aaron, maybe some of these things wouldn't have taken place. Maybe they wouldn't have found such a, uh, a, 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 a rallying point uh, in your brother and things wouldn't have uh, spread as, uh, as much as they did. So sometimes when we're resisting God and his plan, we need to slow down and really consider what we're asking him. Consider what those prayers are that we are offering up. When he gives us what we ask for rather than what we need, we end up realizing he, God knows best. God's plan is best. And often it's in those times he's teaching us to pray, not my will, but yours be done. And, and come to a recognition of, uh, of, of God's wisdom, uh, God's uh, uh, power in, in those ways. And so I think we need to stop and ask, have you learned to pray that prayer, not my will, but yours be done? Have you learned to recognize God's plan is good even when you don't understand it? Even when you're facing it down, it just, you just don't think you've got enough to go through this to know that if, if God is leading you, if he will be with you, you can count on him, rely on him, and look to him. And where does God meet your reluctance this morning? Maybe for some of you, you're feeling reluctant about that very first step of faith. Uh, reluctant to, to go all in with God to entrust yourself to his plan. Maybe you've never come to believe or never responded in baptism. You fear the obstacles that might be in the path. You fear that you don't have enough to, to, to get it across the finish line. And, and in so doing, you're looking like Moses and did and like we often do at your abilities and not his. Let God's signs reassure you this morning. Meet the God who not only turned staffs into snakes and water into blood, he sent Jesus to turn water into wine to show that he could make a celebration out of this life. 
Meet the God who fed the multitudes to convince you that he's the bread of life, to convince you that he's the one who alone can satisfy. Meet Jesus who was raised from the dead to convince you that he gives eternal life to all who repent and trust in his name. Now, maybe you've done that, but you've never gotten past that. That was kind of, for you, not the starting line. It was, feels like the graduation line. Are you feeling paralyzed by your limitations? Is what you can't do getting in the way of what you can do? God made you the way that you are, and he doesn't make mistakes. So go to him, lean on him, but follow him. Follow him into uh, the, uh, the calling that he has placed on your life. Now, maybe some of you would say, I don't think the problem for me is my limitations. I think the problem for me is me. I, I, I think as I look at my life, whether it's serving or fellowship or giving or witnessing or whatever it is, I, I just seem to have a no for every for every one of God's invitations. It always seems to be reluctance. It always seems to be resistance. And I think I, 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 I come to this passage and I say, don't ignite the fire, the, the anger of God. Don't, don't test him in that way by making it always a no when he invites us to say yes. And as you find yourself struggling with that, recognize that we follow a Savior who loved us enough to say, not my will, but yours be done. And because of that prayer that he offered up for us, we have salvation. We have a free gift of forgiveness in his name. Let's look to him. Let's call on his name in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for not giving up on us. I pray for the person this morning struggling with doubt. Would you let your signs minister to them today? Would you draw them to yourself? Help us to remember that you made us the way that we are. With our strengths, but also with our weaknesses and our limitations. Thank you that you can use us as a part of our as a part of your plan, regardless of the weaknesses that we have. Lead us, Father, we ask. We also confess our resistance to you. Would you turn our no into a yes? Would you give us a soft and eager heart? And would you give us the confidence to follow Jesus? For we pray in his name. Amen. Amen.